This is Eric Corey. Now, I promised to provide a solution to the immigration problem in my last podcast, and, and I will deliver. But, but really, the solution to the immigration problem is also the solution to most, if not all, of our nation's ills. That's assuming you believe we have ills as a nation. It all starts with a little civics lesson. Now, I apologize if that sounds condescending, that I'm giving a lesson on how our government was constructed and whose job it is to enforce the laws we make, but you would be surprised as to how many people don't understand these basic facts. So again, apologies to all those who already know this, but a little refresher course is in order given these tumultuous times and my desire to give clarity to my argument. Here's how it all works. It's Congress that makes the laws. That's why they are called the legislative branch. They write the laws that must pass both houses of Congress, the House and the Senate, and then go to the president's desk where he or she will sign that bill into law. Now, if for some reason that law is seen by some as unconstitutional, well, those people have the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, to rule on these questions. And if the Supreme Court finds it's constitutional and the president signs it, well, it becomes the law of the land. And if not, well, it goes back to Congress to be fixed or thrown out. Now, the Supreme Court has no ability to write or introduce laws, only to rule on the constitutionality of the questions put before them. And similarly, the president does not have the ability to write new legislation or laws. The president can propose laws or propose legislation, but ultimately, only Congress can actually write the law and vote on it before sending it to the president for the approval. Now, when the president gets the law, he or she can either sign the bill into law or veto or refuse to sign the bill into law. But the president can't change or modify it in any way once it reaches that desk. It's either a thumbs up or a thumbs down option for any president. So basically, that's how it works, with one additional and extremely important piece of information. The president is the ultimate enforcer of the law. Once again, the Congress passes the law, the Supreme Court confirms its constitutionality, and the president signs it into law. And once signed, it is the ultimate duty of the president to then enforce that law. You see, the president is the number one law enforcement officer in the country. There is no higher authority or enforcement agency above the president, except the people, who once every four years vote that person in office. Making the people, then, the ultimate and supreme enforcers of the law of the land. There is no other entity or agency or sheriff's department that enforces the law. Only the president, and by extension, the people who vote him or her into office. So if you're looking for someone, anyone, to stand up to the tyranny of government, there is no one but ourselves who are charged with that obligation. You see, in reality, the government can do whatever it wants. If you wake up tomorrow and you find that Congress has passed and the president has signed a law that says we must all wear a hat in public because the sun causes skin cancer and now it's a health issue. So now that's the law. And we must all wear a hat before we leave our homes unless and until the people rise up in opposition and vote that president and that Congress out of office for making such a ridiculous law. But we have no other recourse. You either wear the hat or go to jail. Or remove the idiots from office who passed the law. There is no other option. So if you believe, like I do, that government is out of control, well, we have nowhere to look but to ourselves to rein in that government for making laws and rules that we as a nation do not believe make sense or work in our best interests. 
We live in a time where some laws are enforced and some laws are ignored. And the only difference between enforcing or ignoring laws is the direction of the political winds. But it's way worse than that. Take the most recent violation of trust and government overreach that I railed about in a previous podcast called COVID Relief. Everyone knows that only $200 billion of that $1.9 trillion bill is actually being used to address COVID relief. And if you're in that minority who does not believe that to be so, well, you're either lying to yourself or a government employee. In my recent travels, I've yet to meet one person who believes the president and vice president who are currently crisscrossing the nation promoting that BS under the banner that help is here. We all know it's nothing more than a slopping of the bureaucratic pigs to keep them in line and on board with the sham. Nobody believes it will do anything to help anyone, and it's nothing more than a blatant money grab. Yet, there it is, $2 trillion of printed money going to the people who need it the least. And no matter how egregious you may find this shameless promotion of a lie, that spending will happen. Now, I hope that boils your water as much as it boils mine, because unless we do something about it, well, these criminals will be getting away with grand larceny on a biblical scale. And amazingly so, they're currently proposing another $2 trillion of borrowing to spend on, well, whatever they want. That's just one example. I can fill volumes of podcasts with literally thousands of examples of government-perpetrated fraud that no one outside the halls of government would approve of. And yet, there it is. What are you going to do about it? Well, so far, we've all turned a blind eye and thrown up our hands and say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, it's not just the way it is. And if you believe there is nothing you can do about it or have given up on trying, well, then you are the problem. I don't mean to sound hostile here. It's just that that attitude is the very reason why all this waste and fraud and abuse of power continues. We've given up on trying to fix it because it's gotten so out of control and beyond our ability to corral. So I liken it to my years of raising children. I had a friend one time whose children were so totally out of control. I mean, I would watch my friend as he would threaten his kids with a spanking if they didn't do this or stop doing that. Well, he would rant and rave and raise his voice, but ultimately the kids would do whatever they wanted because they knew his threats were empty. He never followed through with that spanking. See, screaming and hollering at the kids was his way of making himself feel like he was doing something and enforcing the law, but the kids would just ignore him and continue to do as they please until they were, and still are, completely out of control. My friend inspired me when it was my turn to discipline my children. And my favorite story is when my son was about two years old. You know, it's that age when they test your boundaries and your resolve as a parent. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was laying on my couch watching my new big screen TV when my son went over to the TV and started pushing buttons randomly. I hollered him and said, hey man, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spank your butt. And I so vividly remember when he looked back at me with this sheepish little grin and started pushing the buttons, testing my resolve. It was at that moment that I remembered my friend and his out-of-control children. That was my moment of truth. I could, A, remain comfortably on my couch and holler again, or I can go through the trouble of getting my lazy ass off that couch and follow through with my original threat. Now, sure, I didn't want to get up. I was comfortable and I was tired, and I really didn't want to spank the kid. But I had no choice if I wanted to be a good parent. So I jumped up and I gave him a whack on his hands, and I said with a firm voice, no. 
And guess what happened? Of course, he cried, but I never had a problem again with him touching buttons on my TV. Now, before any of you weirdos want to jump up and contend that I'm suggesting child abuse, just know that it's not the pain that I may have inflicted on the boy that made the difference. It was the element of swift action and the shock that got him to obey me more than any physical harm that I may have caused. Now, I cannot make a better analogy than that when it comes to my plea to us all that we cannot remain comfortable on our couches while the children running our government continue to push our buttons. We must be swift and decisive with our next move if we hope to gain any control of the situation. Swift and decisive. That is the key to success of enforcing the laws we hold dear and halting this nonstop depletion of our liberties. Now, the answer to that challenge is so simple that most people reject it out of hand because of its simplicity. But it's the only course of action that will be that shocking slap on the wrist of those who are failing our nation and the only action that will stop them from doing it again. Now, for those of you who have read my book or listened to a recent podcast on the same issue, I ask that you please bear with me as I once again share with my listeners the silver bullet for the cure of the diseases of faction that our founding fathers wrote into our governing documents. The one and only answer to solving all the ills that our nation faces today. It's not my answer. It's the answer. And here it is. Of the three branches of government that is supposed to be by, of, and for the people, well, the one branch known as the House of the People is the U.S. House of Representatives. This is where this fail-safe mechanism was implanted by the framers of our Constitution to reset a government in the case of the government going out of control. You see, they knew that one day this day would come where the government got so large and so fat and so out of control that a plan was devised to correct it all on a single day. And that day occurs every two years. On the second Tuesday of November, this is the day that every single member of the House of Representatives comes up for re-election. Every single one of them. It's the one day every two years when the people are afforded the opportunity to set things right. And all you need to do is get up off that comfy couch and discipline the child. Now, it's not something we want to do, but it's something we must do if we have any hope of regaining control and stop this charade that everything is okay, because it's not. And the plan is simple. Do not reelect any current member of the House of Representatives. It's only one of many votes on your ballot, but it is the most important one vote by far. See, this is a gift our founders implanted in the system that allows the people to regain control, to reset a government out of control, and to do it in a swift and shocking manner again on a single day. Imagine waking up that first Wednesday in November, and find that all 435 members of Congress have been voted out of office. Now, it doesn't really matter who takes their place. It only matters that a nation has spoken with one voice, and the masses have united to say, enough is enough. Again, this is not my solution, but the solution provided in our Constitution. And the fallout and the complete chaos that will surely ensue, well, that is the plan. We only need to agree to not vote for any incumbent member of the House of Representatives. And if you trust the genius of our founding that gave us prosperity beyond belief, well, you must trust the mechanism they put in place to set things right and let the political cards fall as they may, as our founders intended. Now, I've been pipping this answer for over a decade now, and I've heard all the naysayers, 
And sure, it may be impractical and difficult to pull off, but if you're that person that says there's nothing you can do, well, here's your answer and my retort. This is exactly what you can do. And make sure everyone you know does the same. You see, we can do this. And most importantly, we must. I mean, we just need to make more people aware of the opportunity because once informed about how simple it really is, one vote on a single day placed against any incumbent in this one branch of government, well, I'm convinced people will get on board and there will be nothing the press or any narrow-minded partisan can do to stop it. It's so amazingly simple, but it will take a monumental effort to convince the people to take this leap of faith in our founder's plan to set things right. An effort by anyone who feels there is nothing they can do because this is it. This is exactly what you can do to correct a seemingly uncorrectable set of circumstances. Now it's going to be several months before this opportunity once again presents itself. So there is plenty of time to get this ball rolling. And the closer we get to that day and the more we promote this idea, well, the larger that ball. Tell everyone you know. Tell them that this is a peaceful revolution that will stop the liars and the political profiteers. A revolution that will end the partisan bickering and the pilfering of our nation's coffers. A revolution that will change all things political without smashing a single window or shedding a single drop of blood. But as important as all that is, what is of greater importance is that an effort like this gives us an opportunity to realize the power we wield if we simply just let go of the minutia that divides us and unite under a simple and painless plan. This effort can unite the disenfranchised masses in a way that no one in today's political world could possibly imagine. It's just a single vote in a single day. I mean, what do you have to lose? This has been the dream of my lifetime, to unite the people using the simple plan gifted to us by our ancestors and turn the political world upside down. I mean, it would be earth-shattering and just what the founders intended. This is how we begin the process of curing our nation's ills. And the real answer to the question, what can I do? This is exactly what you can do. This is Eric Corey, and once again, thank you for listening.